Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, we sit down with Mary Mahoney and Barbara Rosenboom. We're going to be talking about a recent presentation they did at WOC Next Reimagined entitled Chronic Tissue Injury, Recognizing and Publishing Clinical Issues. Mary Mahoney has been a nurse for 36 years and a WOC nurse for 27 years with experience in acute, outpatient, and home care. Her current clinical practice is based at Unity Point at Home in Des Moines, Iowa, where she works with a team of WOC nurses to provide consultation for patients and education to clinicians in home care and hospice in a large health care system using telehealth technology. She is an adjunct professor at WebWalk Nursing Education Program. She has served on numerous WOCN Society committees in the Iowa affiliate and at the national level as well. She is past board member and president of the WOCNCB. She has authored posters for national WOCN conferences and articles for the Journal of Woundostomy and Continence Nursing. Barbara Rosenboom has been a nurse for 38 years and a WOC nurse for the past 20 years. She is an active member of the Iowa WOCN affiliate and has served as secretary and president. She is currently serving on the National WOCN Society Membership Committee. Barb is currently a wound ostomy continence nurse at Unity Point at Home, based in Des Moines, Iowa. This is a large home care company with 14 agencies in the Midwest. Barb has authored articles for the JWOCN, co-authored a chapter in the WOC Core Curriculum Wound Textbook, and lectured at WOCN National Conferences, most recently at WOC Next in 2020. Both Barb and Mary were nominated and received the prestigious 100 Great Iowa Nurses Award. Thanks for joining me, ladies. I'm so excited to have you here to talk a little bit in follow-up about that wonderful lecture you gave at WOC Next a couple of weeks ago. Thanks for having us. Yes, we love being here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back. We were saying just before we started recording that Barb and Mary were my first official guests when we started doing these podcasts. So I'm really excited to have them back with another great topic. I did take some of the questions that I had available to me that the audience didn't get to or that you didn't have time to answer at the end of your session. I thought we'd start with some questions about your practice model where you work together, because there was a lot of interest in that. And then I thought maybe we would just go then on to your work on chronic tissue injury, if that's okay with you. Yeah, I think that's important. Okay, good. So I wondered if either one of you could just talk about your practice model for WOC care in your agency, in case anybody didn't hear your talk, because I know in my part of the country, people don't have that kind of practice like you all do in your organization. Right. I do think we're a pretty unique organization. So prior to 2008, we were a very small home care agency. And I'm going to back up just a little bit to explain home care and what it's like to be a home care nurse, just to sort of set the scene. We were a small agency. We had one WOC nurse. We had computer charting, but there weren't photos. And the computer charting about a wound was only the nurse visiting the patient would write a description. So they could write anything from wound is black, wound is small, or they could give us a lot more description. Wound is so many centimeters and it's eschar and there's redness around. So it really depended heavily on the nurse's ability to describe the wound. We could only prioritize based on those nurse descriptions. And we were so busy that there was no follow-up basically with these patients. So just envision that our home care at that time, we had to drive from house to house to house. And yes, it's kind of a smaller agency, but still we could only see two to three patients a day. 
So around 2008, we had some very visionary leadership. One of them was a nurse, one of them was a physical therapist, and they had found out about a software product that a home care agency could purchase and use to help manage wounds. And that's what we use up to today. We started it in 2008 and we continue to use this telehealth style of WOC nursing because we have expanded our practice over the whole state of Iowa, 13 agencies and kind of over into another part of Illinois as well. So the nurses now go into the home, they visit with the patient and part of their patient assessment is the wound or the ostomy and they take their iPhones, take a picture and they upload it securely as part of their nursing documentation. We also have some other clinicians, physical therapists that do this documentation as well. So it's not just nurses. They make that part of their documentation. Then we work out of the office and can review the documentation their documentation, any other adjunct documentation we get from other facilities where the patient has been at. And based on that, we can make recommendations, evaluate the patient, and we can do follow-up with these patients. So that's been since 2008. It's a telehealth style of home care. We rarely do in-person visits now. We're just too large of a service area. In my opinion, an ideal world would be a hybrid of this. It'd be nice to be able to use the telehealth to prioritize and then be able to do inpatient visits. But again, we're just too large of a service area and we can't do the in-person visits. It must be nice to be able to do follow-up because I think a lot of us as practicing WOC nurses get the consult done, but don't always get the follow-up that we would like. That is so true. And follow-up is every bit as important as the original evaluation because there are some patients you just really worry if they're going to go the right direction. And some patients you don't worry about, but then, whoa, (laughs) find out a problem. So yes, follow-up is very important. And there were a lot of questions and you just started to talk about how nurses in your organization take pictures. So it's done on an iPhone and is that an agency phone? And then is there an app that's used or can you share any of that detail about how that actually happens and gets in the electronic record? Yes, our IT and our compliance department are very, very strict about how our photos are taken and used. So it is a company issued iPhone and they are securely taken and then uploaded into the documentation. So at this point, it's a very secure method. We still use this other software product. We are planning to use Epic, and I know in Epic there's a app, a Haiku app, I think that most people use. So we'll probably move on to something like that. But at this point, it's simply a picture taken and uploaded into their documentation securely. And you have trouble getting poor picture quality because that's the story of my life. (laughs) It's like, what exact body part am I looking at there? Yeah. (laughs) Well, interesting you say that. Part of the software documentation is a wound addendum sheet. So they have to tag the body. So at least, yes, you have a notion of where this wound is located. Then they need to use a label that has centimeter markings on it, patient initials, and the date so that we make sure, because there are occasions where the software kind of messes up and pictures get moved around and have the wrong date assigned to them. But if we see their date in the picture, then we know what's going on. So yeah, but to your point, this is home care. We don't have the bright lights that you have in the hospital. And so oftentimes it can be dark. We also have patients who sit in their chairs or are very difficult to move to get to a position to take a good picture. And the nurse is there by themselves trying to make all this happen. And then trying to keep everything clean. And, you know, it's their iPhone that they're using for their picture. So that can be challenging as well. So yeah, there's a lot of difficulty getting a good photo. But We ask them to take it 18 inches away. In fact, I think there's something in the WOCN, there's some guidelines about taking a picture, and I can't 
tell you right off the top of my head, but they're there in the WOCN, on the WOCN homepage. But 18 inches away, and they have to have the label and get it focused, try to take the picture in the same general angle each time so it's a better comparison. Can't remember what else are on those, Barb, if you can remember any more of those, yeah. On the flip side, some of the photos have such clarity that we catch ourselves almost smelling, you know, like we can smell and see and touch. They're that clear. You could almost see action in the photos. So it goes both ways. Right, right. When you have a great picture, yeah. Right, because you can see like hair follicles and epithelial tissue. And I mean, you can see it. And the neat thing is, you can zoom in and get really close up, whereas you cannot do that with any patient, home care or in the hospital. With a good, clear picture, you can get a really good assessment. Yeah. And what's nice about our program, too, and maybe, Mary, you were going to cover this later, but we have in the WOC side of the wound addendum program, we have the capability of seeing photos all of the photos. So we can scroll from start of care, clear through to the most current photos. So we can see how the wound progresses or deteriorates and make our assessment according to the historical part of the application. So it's easy to click between pictures to really get a good sense of what's been happening, it sounds like. Yeah, we just scroll back and forth and we're able to see start of care to the most current visit. Yeah. You work together, I know. So do you have patients that you sort of follow specifically, or is it just a matter of who gets what comes in your inbox, or how does that all go? Do you have continuity that way between each other, or how do you work that out? We have five of us. Oh, okay. (laughs) And we're assigned a region. So each WOC nurse is assigned to a certain agency's. And those agencies know to refer to that specific nurse. But we have a way, our ways of filling in for each other and sharing patients and helping each other out. So, yeah, we do have assigned patients. And it's better that way because the nurses kind of get to know us and establish a rapport. And we work better when we have kind of our set of nurses, as anyone would. Right. So there is some organization to how you approach your patient load. Okay, great. And then will you talk a little bit about reimbursement for your type of practice? How does that work in your organization? And tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, well, home care in general, we don't get a direct reimbursement for anyone, really. It's called a bundled payment. So most of our patients are Medicare And the agency gets this lump sum bundled payment based on the patient's health condition and the patient needs for a 60-day episode of care. When the patient is admitted, the admission nurse needs to do an OASIS assessment. So each admission nurse needs to fill out that outcomes and assessment information set, which includes a lot of just basic information like their vital signs and whether they're incontinent or what their activity is, then it's a lot of functional assessment as well. So it's a very comprehensive assessment that needs to be done. The other thing is the patient has to be homebound and that gets to be just a little bit gray regarding they aren't strictly have to be home. They can go make doctor visits, for example. And then they also, here's the most important part, they have to have a skilled need. So for Medicare to get someone admitted to home care, you can't just say, oh, they've got this wound, they need help doing the wound care. It has to be a skilled need. That's another criteria that the patient has to meet. So we don't get paid directly. We get this bundled payment The way the WOC nurses make a difference in home care is not only doing the patient assessment and making direct recommendations for care, which that can happen. It's not uncommon for a patient to get admitted to home care and to have the nurse find a wound that maybe wasn't even known about by the doctor. 
So we can make recommendations for care to initiate a treatment plan. We also can make adjunct recommendations if they're seen at the Wound Healing Center or podiatrists. We can help enhance the recommendations for home care. We might review the orders by a doctor and use, are they using appropriate protocols or are they trying to use a product that's just wildly expensive and we need to collaborate on a different treatment plan. We also work on a formulary for supplies and then we also support the clinicians in the patient home if they have questions or concerns. While they're at the patient's home, they can call us and get support. So I think that's an important part also. Okay. I was just going to say one other thing that happened recently with reimbursement rules are so in flux and changing with the recent pandemic that the regulations have now allowed nurse practitioners to write home care orders. That's a huge step for nurse practitioners and it's really likely that this will continue. So we're excited about that because that was a barrier in the past. Sometimes it's easier to get a hold of the nurse practitioner than the doctor too to get orders and things changed, right? And are there other cost avoidance things that you do? So you talked about supplies and appropriate treatment and then must be frequency of visits as well. You don't want to be in their daily dressings. Are there other things that you all do within your role to help support your role and support the organization? Well, like you mentioned, supply management and frequency of visits are two of the cost avoidance strategies that are part of our department. Those are two big areas where our role makes an impact in the organization. As Mary said, we review all the patients with wound, ostomy, and skin integrity issues. And part of that review then is evaluating the orders that the patients have in place when they're referred to home care agency. And then we determine if those orders are appropriate for the wound in the current state and if the frequency then is appropriate under our home care guidelines. And a lot of healthcare professionals don't realize that home care has a lot of different regulations than acute care or outpatient settings. For example, if you have a patient where they have a two-time-a-day dressing change ordered in acute care, that's appropriate for an acute care setting because they have 24-hour staffing. But if they come home with those orders, the patient's going to have to be taught to perform that dressing change or have a consistent caregiver that we can teach because the nurse can't go out to see that patient twice a day. Nursing visits are really expensive, and that's the biggest cost that comes out of our bundled payment that Mary was talking about. So we utilize a lot of advanced wound care products in home care because they can be left in place for several days. And a lot of people don't think that makes sense all the time to use expensive products, but if the nurse has to go twice a week to change the dressing versus two times a day, we're avoiding cost because of the frequency of nursing visits, especially with our Medicare patients. One thing with the Medicare patients too is the supplies for wound care with the exceptions of negative pressure wound therapy supplies, those are bundled into the payment that we receive for 30 days of service. So it's really important that we determine or review the type of supplies and the amount of supplies that a patient's going to need and make sure that those are utilized appropriately. We don't want them ordering months worth of supplies if the patient's going to the wound center every two weeks and likely to have a change in the wound treatment. So then we ask that they order just the amount of supplies for a two-week time frame. So then the nurse makes the visit to measure and photograph the wound. And then when they perform the assessment and the teaching, that's the actual skilled need under Medicare a lot of times. A dressing change like silvadine and gauze doesn't require the skill of a nurse to perform. And again, the frequency. It's the teaching of that. Or we help transition that over to something that's more home care friendly and meets our regulations and guidelines as far as frequency of visits. And then you mentioned briefly just now about negative pressure supplies are not in the home care bundles. Will you explain that? Because I'm an acute care person, so I had no idea about that. So that's completely out of the payment that your agency receives for care of that patient on negative pressure. When we have negative pressure wound therapy on a Medicare patient, that is reimbursed under Medicare Part B. So the actual equipment and supplies that are connected with negative pressure wound therapy are paid for under Medicare Part B. So it's not taken out of the X amount of dollars we get for 
that patient with a wound. Okay, so that's good for home care. It's a good option for home care. Again, frequency of visits, because if you weren't using negative pressure wound therapy, think of how what dressing changes or what wound treatments you would be using and the frequency that that would need to be done. So it's a win-win. A lot of our negative pressure patients are also connected with the wound center. So they go there one day a week to have their dressing changed. So we probably only do two visits per week to change the negative pressure dressing. Yeah, that's a good plan all the way around then for the right patient and the right wounds, right? Another cost avoidance, I guess we could kind of group that underneath there, is our important role of staff education. Part of our role as WOC nurses is to teach our staff nurses. So we have regular scheduled classes for new staff and if needed, review for established staff. And we do didactic and hands-on demonstration with skill review on basic wound care and assessment, negative pressure wound therapy, lower extremity wraps, and ostomy class. And these classes provide basic education then to empower the home care nurse to be able to manage these patients in a home setting. And they learn to utilize our WOC staff collaboratively and with good communication, then especially on the complex cases with the hope of a good outcome. That's great. Sounds like a great model. So now I'd love to know the story about how you came to do this work on the recliner butt or chronic tissue injury. So there has to be a story about how this all came about. So I would love if you would tell us. (laughs) There is. And it's a very long story. Well, I shouldn't say a long story. It's been in the works for a long time. Like I said, we started this telehealth care in 2008, and in home care, it's really common to see patients for repeat what we call episodes of care. In other words, we see them several times over the course of a year or several times over the course of years. We would see these patients come and go, and remember that outcomes assessment I talked about? It is extremely important to fill out that outcomes assessment that the nurse does at admission. We need to fill that out correctly and document each wound etiology correctly. And that still goes on today. And we're having trouble because the nurse would admit a patient and see these purple buttocks and some nurses would call it deep tissue pressure injuries. Some nurses would call it inflammation. Some nurses would call it a stage one. They just didn't know what to call it. And then we started looking at each other befuddled as well. What do we have them call it? Because it is not deep tissue pressure injury. It's also not a stage one. It blanches. So was the problem. That started back in like 2009. And we kind of kept talking about it. We talked to colleagues. We started collecting some information and we just started to see this trend and started taking a few notes and saw that there were some similar features. So we thought, well, there's really no difference between male and female. It happens in both. It does happen in patients who have limited mobility. They seem to have difficulty getting up out of their chair. They usually sit and sleep in their recliner chair. Many home care patients really find it more comfortable to sit and sleep in their recliner for various reasons. A lot of times they breathe better. They just find it more comfortable than being in a bed. Sometimes the patients were incontinent, but not always. Typically the patient is obese. And unlike any other tissue injury in this location, there was minimal change in this discoloration. Like I said, we would see these patients get admitted, they'd have the discoloration, we'd see them discharge, same discoloration on their buttocks, no change really, even though we had done some pressure relief measures. So that's the story. We started seeing this trend and talked to our colleagues. We finally said, well, let's do something about it. So we developed a poster that we brought to the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel Conference and got great acceptance there from people also sharing their difficulty with knowing what to classify the wound, that it is a problem. Many people called it that undignified name of recliner butt. And, you know, I did kind of think it was funny at first, but then it really hit me like, this is not nice. And that was kind of part of my drive too, is let's 
give this a dignified term and a term that we don't know what causes it. Let's name it and now let's move on and figure out what the etiology is. So brought the poster to conference and kind of kept thinking, okay, maybe the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel would do something because we had brought the poster to conference, but they didn't. So decided it's our due diligence to write an article. So we wrote the article. It took us over a year to get it published, but <laughs> it happened and here we are. Yeah, it's a great article. And so you really kind of came up with this term of chronic tissue injury, kind of, it seemed like looking at what it wasn't and looking at what it was. I think you picked tissue versus skin on purpose, right? I'm guessing. That we did. (laughs) And can you talk about that and why you picked that language? Right. We wanted the classification to be descriptive. We didn't want our names associated with it. For instance, no offense to some of the other tissue injury that have names associated, but we really didn't want our names. We wanted it to be descriptive of what the problem was. So we looked at the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel staging and looked at deep tissue pressure injury. And we thought that kind of makes sense. It's tissue injury. So we pulled from that and knew that this injury that we were looking at would occur. And once it occurred, it doesn't resolve, but it really doesn't get worse. It does continue. And thus the word chronic kind of popped up. So chronic tissue injury is what we decided on interesting note is one of the comments from conference was that the title is too vague. And perhaps it is, but I would say that we don't know the etiology yet. We just have identified that these are purple tissue injury and it's chronic. We don't know what it is yet, so we can't be real specific yet. Yes, it is vague, but I still think it's descriptive of what's going on. Yes, because when you read the description, it's like, yes, that's exactly what you see in clinical practice. And then you said that it doesn't really change. So these patients that you looked at over these long periods of time, it sort of was what it was and never changed regardless of the condition of the patient over time. Jody, I've actually got the actual definition that we come up with in front of me. So it's, I agree, we felt the definition gave a good description of what we're seeing. So I feel like when I read this, people can visualize exactly what we're talking about. So the one we come up with was that it's a purple maroon discoloration located on the fleshy portion of the buttocks, not necessarily over a bony prominence. It has thinned epidermal tissue and presents with or without open skin injury that does not improve or deteriorate into a partial or full thickness injury. It's very clear. That's great. And so there was a lot of questions about, so when you first see this, maybe it's a new person to you and you don't know what it's going to do yet because it's new to you. How do you document that then? So like Mary said, we found quite often that the nurses were contacting us and asking, what am I supposed to call this skin issue? We're looking and seeing that they were labeling it as pressure injury, specifically stage one or stage two, or deep tissue pressure injury because of the purplish discoloration. So there was so much variability in the nurse's documentation. And in our computer software program, the wound addendum gives the clinicians a drop-down box with choices of wound etiologies. So their answers are limited to those choices. And what we found then that there wasn't really a category that this fit into. It wasn't a pressure injury, it wasn't trauma, wasn't a stasis ulcer. So the category we usually have them classified under in our system is inflammatory, which is kind of a catch-all category when the skin issue doesn't fall into any of the other choices. And then the OASIS purpose, once again, there's limited choices and chronic tissue injury didn't fit into any of those classifications. Okay. So then if you do that inflammatory changes, then that gets rid of one nurse calling it one thing and one nurse calling it something else and a third nurse calling it something completely different. Well, hopefully, they have to pick a category on start of care. They have to pick the category before they can actually go on and fill out the wound addendum. 
but if they have questions about what to call it, then that's where we come in. They contact us and say, is this a pressure ulcer? Or I don't think it is, but what do I call it? Okay. We would also have trouble with identification of moisture-associated skin damage. Again, we need to get our computer software programs and the OASIS information set up to date, up to speed with what our evidence is today because we have intertrigonous dermatitis that we call that inflammatory. We don't have a word or a place to put that on our current documentation. Right. Right. Interesting. So you can't really write things in like in acute care, you can put another other and and that covers everything we don't know about. (laughs) No. And the important thing is, like we said, on admission, we have to have it meticulously filled out because that's what gets sent into Medicare for our assessment. So if that nurse is admitting the patient and sees this and isn't sure what to call it, she can reach out to you before she finalizes that documentation. So that way it's correct from the beginning. That's our theory. Okay. (laughs) Ideally, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Just like every other place we work, right? Yeah. Then you did talk in the lecture about using barrier creams and cushions for offloading, for, especially for people who are in the chair all the time. A couple of parts about that question. Do you think they make any difference? And do you routinely use those on all these people that you see with this? Or how do you handle that in your organization? People often ask us how the condition's treated. I think a couple of the comments from in the evaluations was, well, you didn't talk about treatment. I guess we were focused more on the underlying etiology and the classification more than the treatment. Barrier creams and pressure redistribution seat cushions are often common interventions that are implemented for patients who are essentially chair-bound, like these patients are, and they may be incontinent. And the CTI patients have risk for pressure injury development, so these interventions are oftentimes used for prevention and maintenance of skin integrity. However, we found these interventions didn't really help to resolve or alter the chronic purple discoloration of the buttocks. So essentially, we treat with preventive measures and then alter the treatment if there are other skin issues that develop within CTI, such as IAD or pressure injuries. Okay. Okay. Are you using in your organization and are you suggesting that we use that chronic tissue injury as a term in documentation? In our WOC note, After we've done a chart review, we write a WOC evaluation. We document the specific manifestations of the affected area. So, for example, we would say intact skin with purple maroon discoloration on the fleshy portion of the buttocks and state that this is characteristic of chronic tissue injury, likely related to the patient sitting and sleeping in the recliner chair. So we're actually describing the characteristics and not actually making a diagnosis. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And then have you ever encountered one of these that has developed signs of infection, become reddened or indurated or ruber, increased warmth? No, we really haven't. We have followed a lot of these patients and or really have not seen that. But I would clarify that this is its own problem. Patients can have coexisting problems. So maybe if they did develop infection, it would be this coexisting problem, but they can still get MASD, for instance. They can have, just like how you can have MASD and a pressure injury occurs, those two can coexist. MASD and friction skin injury can coexist. The chronic tissue injury and friction skin injury can coexist, but they're different entities in and of themselves. So I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind as you assess the patient. And I've seen in my own practice patients who I think have this, and they're usually frail elderly people that are mostly chair-bound at home. And a few times it's had a grayish hue to it as opposed to more reddish purple. And so these few people happen to be a little bit darker complexion. So I wondered what your experience was with color of the chronic tissue injury based on the patient's skin tone. I think that's a very important question. And in any different skin tone, we need to take that into account. And it takes really astute observation. But 
I do think you're right that the CTI, though it could be a purplish hue in one skin tone, could take on a different color and a different skin tone. And it's kind of similar to the phenomena of redness of a rash. In a darker skin tone, that redness takes on a purplish hue. So, wow, that'd be a great research <laughs> investigation right there because I don't think we have enough information on that right now. And has anybody started visualizing like histologic appearance of this under a microscope? Is there anybody doing anything about that? Well, we hope there's somebody out there with an interest that has the capacity to perform like a histopathologic study or any type of research that would help determine how this tissue injury occurs. We're not a research facility or university or institution, so we can't perform biopsies or tissue cultures or anything that would help further this research. So we're looking, putting a shout out out there for anybody that has an interest. We will support you 100% if you will take this on. Yeah, yeah, that would be Not great. financially. We'll just, yeah, we'll no, just give yeah. you kudos. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you the attaboy, girl. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Maybe help recruit some patients for them for yeah. this study, right? <laughs> And so what do you think should happen now to get this term to be more widely accepted? We're in hopes, too, that an organization like WOCN Society, NPIAP or CMS even, would recognize that this type of injury shouldn't be categorized as pressure and then acknowledge that chronic tissue injury is a legitimate classification and maybe even someday have an ICD-10 code having that specific classification might even help with things like prevalence statistics where CTI could be mistakenly identified as deep tissue pressure injury or MASD. So our goal was to draw attention to the skin condition in hopes that those who have the authority to develop the classifications and codes will acknowledge our terminology recommendation and then act on it. Okay. Do you think this is more prevalent than we all think? I bet if we started looking at this, we'd find that a lot more people had it than I think. When we took the poster to the conference, people from care setting acute care, it didn't matter where they work. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That's recliner butt or purple butt or seen that a lot, but didn't know what to call it. I think it is out there. And if you worked in home care, you would realize how many people out there actually do sleep and sit in a recliner 24-7 and develop this chronic discoloration. So reading through the comments from conference as well, people are really excited to have this classification and they have started including it in what they teach their skincare teams. They've copied our article and given it to doctors. They're glad to have this professional term to classify the skin injury. When people listened we noticed in the chat room, they all thought of a patient that they've had that's had this problem. And the important part is that the agencies in home care, long-term care, that we have validation of this tissue injury that's not pressure related so they don't get punitive. There are stories of agencies that have gotten penalized for deep tissue pressure injury when in fact it's been this chronic tissue injury. So we need to have this for that reason as well, as well as to have accurate prevalence and incidence studies. That's one of my pet peeves is that they want these prevalence and incidence studies when we don't even have accurate ways to identify all the different skin tissue injuries. So there's my pet peeve in case yeah. you wanted to know. <laughs> no, I do. I'm excited personally because I see these and I would document in my note, this is not pressure. I'm unsure of etiology, likely chronic skin change, but that's not the best way to describe it either. So it's really nice for all of us to have a succinct, clear way to really describe it besides, I don't know what to call this. Yes. The other thing I wanted to point out between pressure injury and this chronic tissue injury Chronic tissue injury blanches and pressure injury does not. That's a real key difference between the two. And then we started to talk a little bit about the CTI with other things. So you know how some patients get those funny little ridgy things that are sort of linear that we think are from friction, from being pulled up in the chair or the bed or whatever. 
or if somebody has like a moisture associated skin problem or an IAD, you can have both things. So then you, as you document, would classify the CTI with the other condition or vice versa, depending on the patient's situation. Am I interpreting that right? Yes, absolutely. I have seen some really severe cases of I would call it friction skin injury, but it almost gets to the point where it's just plain shearing of tissue. The patient gets skin tags because of the severe sheared tissue. And it almost, it's kind of surprising to see this when you see it for the first time and ask yourself, my goodness, can this even improve? But that does improve with getting OT involved so the patient doesn't slide down in their chair, getting some moisture barrier ointments on it, but mainly keeping them from shearing their tissue, that improves. I've seen that get so much better. And yet the purple part, chronic tissue injury, that continues. (laughs) So yes, they can coexist and there you go. (laughs) Like that sandpapery elevated tissue that you see sometimes from chronically, I think it's from people pulling patients up the wrong way, especially out of acute care where there's not a lot of help, I think, to reposition people. That can go away, but you'll still be left with the CTI that either surrounds it or is near it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Then what are your thoughts about ultrasound or some of these new technologies that we're using now to determine pressure injuries. What do you think about using those to try to help identify CTIs? Well, again, anyone with that capability would like to see them use that technology to determine what's going on underneath there or how this is happening. Yeah. I think many of our colleagues kind of have leaned toward that it is a venous pooling etiology. I personally kind of buy into that, but I don't know for sure. We would need to have a biopsy to figure that out, but we don't know the ideology, basically. Right. And so you had that amazing lecture on WOC Next Reimagined. And so what kind of feedback have you had about that? Were people like, oh yeah, I've seen that too? Or were they like, what are they talking about? Or (laughs) what kind of comments did you get or have you heard? We did hear. And I'll start off and Barb can chime in, but oh my gosh, it was just thrilling. I actually got goosebumps and thank you to all of you who took the time to write what you really felt about our lecture because that helps, the feedback helps us to feel good about this work. And yes, people were very excited for the new term and want to use it and want it to continue, want this work to continue. So, Barb, what what are your thoughts? I was happy to see people recognized that we had written the article. A lot of people referenced, I read this article, and I was so glad that they were talking about it now. And there was one mention that they want us to come back every year. And Chris Berkey, who wrote about friction skin injury, every year until somebody recognizes it and makes the terminology official. That makes us feel good. Yeah, a lot of work and thought has not gone into this. It's clear for sure. And like Mary said, this has been a long time. I mean, when we both were actually all working from home now, but when we were in the office together, we'd back our chairs up. Somebody come and look at this. (laughs) Is this really, (laughs) what is this? Why is this purple? And it was purple when we had them open six months ago. Yeah, yeah. That's the great benefit of having that availability from your health record to really see. We can drag the pictures over into a folder to look at later. We kind of started to keep track of it when we started noticing that trend. We kept a folder with a picture in there so we could say, oh yeah, this is that patient I looked at six months ago and this is still here. Right. Right. And are you both going to do anything more personally? You probably should rest a little bit after all this and the lecture. And now you're talking to me. Are you having thoughts that you may do additional work in this area? What are you thinking about that? Well, my comment on that is just to remember that this groundwork is just two nurses in the Midwest with this information. This would be so much stronger if an organization such as the WOCN or the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel or both 
would collect the evidence and develop consensus statements. So I hope that for not only chronic tissue injury, but also friction skin injury, that we develop consensus statements much like we did for MASD. Right. Because not that long ago, there wasn't anything on that. And, and look where we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, Barb? Are you uh, on the same page as Mary? Or I am. She's my driving force. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she kicks me in my recliner butt to get, <laughs> get on board. And, <laughs> and Barb's the organizer. She, she organizes my crazy thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so one person has the idea and the other one makes it happen, right? Yeah. That was nice, too. Part of the evaluations really recognized the fact that we worked together, that we did a tandem presentation. And I'm honest, I would not have done this on my own. That way, Mary motivates me. And that's just how our team works. We all support each other and work together to come up with stuff like this. So it's great to be part of a team like that. Barb and I are both very passionate about edifying and nurturing nurses especially WOC nurses, but we really want people to succeed and improve. And as part of that, we wanted people to realize that they too could publish. So that was part of our lecture as well, to encourage them if there is something that they're passionate about, to start writing notes and pulling it together and finding a way to also publish what they're passionate about. You did a great part in that lecture about how you went about that process too and, and how it really takes a while to get that all finished. So I guess it's good you have each other because then when one of you is kind of getting like, oh my God, we're never going to get this done, the other person can <laughs> lift you up, right? Well, and splitting it up, we have a great resource in our institution librarians and I'm serious. I can send them keywords at eight o'clock in the morning and by 8.45 we have a list to pick from. Send it back to them and the emails start coming with all the articles. So then we split those up. We each read, we each highlighted, then we swapped out and read and highlighted stuff that the others we missed and constantly dragging pictures into a file and keeping notes. And really we wanted to emphasize talking about the publishing part, not to be afraid to challenge that status quo, because we took this on knowing there wasn't research or a lot of information about this condition. We had a really hard time finding resources or literature that supported that specific condition. In fact, there wasn't anything. Our literature was more about the conditions we compared it to. So, you know, just being challenge to take something like that on. We really wanted to emphasize that people could do that. If you've got an idea or a project or something you're working on that works or something you're questioning, not to be afraid to start asking questions and write about it so that it draws more attention. Because you certainly started quite a conversation around this topic. Were you ever afraid like, oh my God, people are going to think we're nuts? or nobody's going to want to hear this? Let's see. How many times do we say that? <laughs> Daily? If they know us, they think, about, they think that about us anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> Truthfully, we did worry about that. I mean, yes, we did. Partially because there was no evidence. So what gives us the authority, <laughs> you know, to start this topic? So you took it and look what's happening. It's a good thing you did, right? <laughs> Thanks. What else is important that I didn't ask you about? I, for one, appreciate the opportunity to highlight home care. That's kind of our, we've talked about this for a long time too, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit. Just the misunderstanding or lack of knowledge about home care regulations and what home care entails. And like Mary said, nurture a lot of young people and young nurses or people coming into home care. And it's eye-opening. I mean, I've been in home care since 1993, and people have no idea what home care is like. I mean, I don't know what they think it's like, but it's really eye-opening to shadow a home care nurse. My theory is every nurse should do at least a year of home care just to have the experience of seeing what the patient environment is like, what their support system is like, what services are available to them, 
the weather conditions, dogs, insects. I mean, it's a whole different ball game. Dark hallways. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, or just finding the address. Thank yeah. God for Google these days. Well, and <laughs> scheduling visits, you can't go when the price is right on. And yeah. you know, it's it's a challenge. And you have to be an independent practitioner out there because you're on your own. And what's nice about our organization is we have this WOC department that's a huge resource to our staff nurses when 60% of our home care patients have a wound or some type of skin integrity issue. That's astounding. All right. What else for me, ladies? I've kept you a long time tonight. I'm so happy you came on. This was great. So everybody's questions that didn't get answered at a conference now, we've, I think, touched on a lot of those. So everybody's going to be fully informed of everything you did, which is great. That's fantastic. I mean, ultimately, our goal was to have a consistent terminology to describe the tissue injury in our skin classification systems across the board. So from acute care to home care to long-term care. And we want all healthcare providers to have that accessible to them. So we appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, well, thanks again for joining me. And next year, we'll have to have you back for something else, right? Yes, we'll have well, another anniversary uh, podcast. There you yes. go. Okay. Well, you'll have to clue me in on what you're working on, because I bet you have something else that you're going to do. So give me a little clue, and we'll get that planned. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jody. In case you need it, the title of Barb and Mary's article in the JWOCN was Definition and Characteristics of Chronic Tissue Injury, a Unique Form of Skin Damage. That was in the May-June 2019 issue on pages 187 through 193. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Walk Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk please visit wocn.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's wocn.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.